Welcome to the XEGS Cart by Cart podcast, the first and only podcast covering Atari's last answer to the 8-bit gaming system. In episode 1, we review EA's Archon to find out if the game is good or evil. Then we set our sights on the light gun game Bug Hunt. Now here are the three XEGOs, Bill, David, and Michael. Happy New Year, and welcome to the first review episode of the XEGS Cart by Cart podcast. In today's show, we'll be discussing Archon and Bug Hunt. First off, we wanted to briefly mention the two other packing games that came with the system, Flight Simulator 2, which came on cartridge, and Missile Command, which is built into the system. Rather than spend an episode reviewing these, we wanted to direct you to Robbing Mullen's Player Missile podcast, where he's reviewed both. Flight Simulator 2 was part of his first Flight Sim review episode, uh, episode number 12, and Missile Command was talked about in episode 13. Before we get started, though, we wanted to talk about some news. Well, I got the Atari fever pretty bad and decided to take a look to see if I could find an incognito board. And uh, luckily, I had a uh, very nice Atari Age member willing to sell me his for a small fortune to continue my further uh, spiral into bankruptcy. <laughs> so I was able to get the incognito board for no less with shipping for about 298 Canadian dollars. And I, and I just got it in the mail. It looks great. And, uh, so I started thinking about, you know, I, I don't know how to solder. I'm not really good with that stuff. So I thought about my friend who, who has his own business, HerculesWorkshop.com. And I called him and he said he helped me, uh, to install the incognito boards. So I said, great. Okay. Awesome. But then I thought, hold on, hold on a second. I only have one Atari 800. My, it's like, what happens if something goes wrong? So of course, you know, uh, the fever continues. Decided to go on eBay, take a look around, and I remember my uh, buddy Bruce there at BNC Computer Visions, and I see he's selling the three Atari 800 PCB boards. You got the power board, the CPU board, the motherboard, and what do I do? I ended up buying uh, one of each. So that was mailed to me, and then I received that, and uh, so I opened up the box. It was that smell, that vintage electronic smell. And I took it in and I said, wow, there's nothing like vintage electronics. So then I thought to myself, my um, nephew Connor is uh, taking chemical engineering in school. And I thought, hey, maybe once he's finished, uh, maybe we can start a scent to uh, vintage electronics. And, uh, you know, you put that stuff on you and your wife will say, oh, honey, what's that scent? Are you wearing 400 today? No, dear. I've got 800 on. It packs an extra punch. Anyway, uh, so... Uh, so then I so then I took a look more of the instructions on how to uh, install the incognito board, and there seems to be that you've got to maybe drill a, a, a drill a hole in the case to add a certain switch. And I thought, oh, oh my, oh, I got to drill a hole in my beautiful Atari 800. Mm. So anyway, I ended up buying an, a used as is Atari off of eBay, but for some reason the eBay seller uh, canceled the sale, and. Uh, I found Paul uh, Westfall at Atari8Bix.com, uh, and he came to the rescue. And so uh, shortly I will have a beautifully restored Atari 800 on its way to me to be butchered up so that I can install an incognito board. And uh, also uh, I got uh, my copy of Venture and Tempest Extreme from uh, Video 61. Nice. And I tried them, and they are awesome. They are really uh I think it's the best venture version there is out there in Tempest Extreme. The music is just great. And then to end off my uh, fever before the, you know, before the fever broke, I ended up getting an Atari CX80 trackball uh, for Missile Command on the Zegs and also to play with some Atari 2600 games that have recently been converted to use uh, with a trackball. So that's what I've been up to, and my bank account is completely depleted, and I'm uh, happy with all my vintage products. (laughs) 
you know, I'm wondering if you could make some sort of um, switch that you could put behind the case and then put like a neodymium magnet behind it and that would switch it on and off. That way you wouldn't have to damage yeah. the case. Yes. Um, but, but of course, it would be hidden to everybody. But for you, you'd know it was there. And- yeah. Well, just to add on that point, the one that Paul Westfall is sending me, it actually has the RF cable removed. So it's not on the, um, it's not in the machine anymore. Oh, okay. And then if you take a look at the uh, opening on the back where the R, where the RF uh, cable would go out, mm-hmm. I think if I can find a switch small enough, I may be able to mount it on that hole. Oh, cool. Yeah. So it'll be just the switch will be a push button switch on the back. And that way I won't even have to, uh, there'll be no, uh, molestation of Atari 800 cases. I really don't want to, I really don't want to touch the case. I want to preserve uh, the Atari 800. At the same time, I'm kind of hacking it as well. Yeah. <laughs> so that's why, you know, I have two of them, but. Yeah. Well, you're not probably the first person to do this, so. <laughs> no. So, uh, that's me. And, uh, what have you been up to, Michael? Well, Christmas was, uh, very good to me. I got an Atari 800XL. That's uh, my first Atari since 1987, probably. So that's great. Wow. I, I love the, thing, the photo you put up on face, Facebook. Yeah. You're holding it up triumphantly. <laughs> ah, like a little kid. <laughs> I know. It felt like Christmas 1983. Uh, it was, and the thing is so sweet. I pulled it out last night. Uh, I was putting everything away because I really don't have room for it right now, but, um, I was looking at it. I was like, dang, this thing is nice. It's got all the covers on it. It's got a little, what's a parallel port in the back. Um, it's just, it's so sweet. And it came with, um, with an accounting software. So that it, it tells me that it was used carefully by an accountant. <laughs> so, oh, that's good. Yeah. And then, um, so a guy promised me an Apple II GS. Unfortunately, he passed a few months ago, but his family was nice enough to, um, uh, you know, honor the agreement, which was just give me your old, hardware and uh, i got two apple gs's plus a uh, apple 2c monitor a uh, green screen which is beautiful except for it makes a nice high pitched whiny sound and smells like uh, ozone <laughs> so that means there's a there's a spark going across there so i'm gonna turn that thing on again until i get inside there and it also came with a three and a half and a five and quarter inch floppy drive and then i also want to get a floppy solution for my atari uh, so I started looking around, but there's, you know, so much information. I thought, wouldn't it be nice to have it in one spot and kind of a comparison of all yes. the things? People just look at it. So I started compiling that list and, uh, hope to publish that soon. And then, uh, my youngest daughter and I are working on a logo for, um, for the Floppy Days podcast. So, uh, we're just, we're getting through that. I'm, I, she's got her ideas. I got mine. I might even just come up with two. Um, you might have heard that the player missile podcast is on hiatus. So I get a little more time to spend on other projects. That's, I mean, I love to do the stuff of Rob, but at the same time, so much going on right now, you know, new year, lots of other things going on with around the house and stuff. So it's nice to have a little extra time. Uh, but I spent some of that time doing a short segment for the Floppy Days podcast called Memories of the TI-99. So hopefully they'll publish that. Oh, that's great because I love that podcast and I'll, and I'll be interesting to listen to you talk about the TI-99. Yeah, it, it's very short, but uh, tune in and listen and I've been listening to, of course, my podcasts. And uh, one of the podcasts I listened to was Antic, which gave us a, a shout out to us, which is very nice. Um, but I have <laughs> some stuff here. Uh-huh. I'm calling out Kevin, a little bit of Brad, but mostly Kevin. So he said that he didn't like the way we started uh, the podcast at episode one and our zero, excuse me. And of course, Bill and I are coders and we start counting at what number? Zero. Exactly. So all good coders count at zero. So that's why we started there. 
They complained a little bit about our show length. Now, of course, it was two hours or just under two hours, but we had so much to cover. I don't think they, uh, even on their uh, initial episode, covered as much as what Bill covered, very thorough. And so I uh, looked back and I noticed that their last couple episodes, episode 27 was over two hours and 28 was uh, hour 47. So not that long (laughs) in comparison. No. And, And the final thing? Kevin called us out saying we're warm and fuzzy. Now, I didn't exactly know. I don't think we had a love fest or anything, as far as I remember. Uh, but nerd not fest, a, maybe yeah, nerd maybe, fest, but def, definitely nerd fest, but not a love fest. But the amount of time we spent was uh, in this love fest was ten minutes, ten thirty-seven approximately. They spent on their initial episode six minutes and fifty seconds, so almost seven seven minutes. So three minutes, three and a half minutes for talking about us. So. I, I think just uh, Kevin's giving us a little, uh, you know, a little good nature ribbing, but I thought I'd call it out. <laughs> and uh, last thing, my oldest daughter just told me tonight that she got nominated as or actually awarded biggest gamer in school. So they get to take pictures of her and put her in the yearbook. So I'm very, very proud <laughs> of that. Oh, awesome. <laughs> you'll, have to, you'll have to put something on the Facebook page. I will. I'll do sure, that. With yeah. uh, legions of fans. Exactly. Well, she's she's um, co She's a co-president of their gaming club. And um, so, yeah, and I, I'm always there very supportive, but they haven't asked for my Pong unit yet. So <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know why. I can't, I can't figure that out. Yeah, I can't figure that out either. That's one of the best <laughs> games you could ever play. Hey, listen, I got, a t- I got on my Atari 2600, I have, uh, I think it's called Olympics. Mm-hmm. Video Olympics, yeah. Video yep. Olympics. Yep. Yep. I could not have an Atari 2600 without Video Olympics. Yep. I was eyeing that copy of mine, my, my copy last night, thinking like, I should probably get rid of this one. I never, I never yeah. played that game. It's, it's every form of Pong known to man. It's like, yeah. it's not, well, it wasn't one of my favorites when I had my 2600, but that's about it with me. What about you, Bill? Uh, not much 8-bit news to report. I've been super busy at work, um, but a while back I ordered one of those um, dual stick uh, 78 controller, uh, 7800 controllers um, oh, cool. at Ladin. Yeah. The one, the one that you're supposed to play Robotron with, and yes. ooh, it's sweet. Is it? And, uh, and you know, uh, I'm not sure if we're gonna review Robotron, but I just wanted to make make a point that uh, Robotron on the uh, 400-800 XLXE actually does support two joysticks, so you can just plug this controller into port one, port oh. two, hit start, and you're playing it just like in the arcade. So totally wow. worth it. And yeah. then uh, in my copious free time, I'm hoping to maybe take part in this year's uh, basic ten liner contest, but we'll oh. see. Yeah, that nice. just that just started. And I think it was uh, running through early April, if I remember, or late March. I don't remember now. Oh. Listen to Antic; they talk all about it. <laughs> yeah. So is your basic that good? Well, I don't know if it's that good, but uh, the first <laughs> the first year that I think they opened it up on the internet, I uh, I went nuts. They they got to the point where I was like half the submissions at one point. And they're like, Bill, you should calm down. Like, stop submitting wow. stuff. Wow. But I okay. did I did win a little tiny plaque and I got a couple like magazines and cartridges and, or uh, cassette tapes and stuff shipped oh, to me sweet. from from Germany. So that was pretty cool. But that wasn't why I did. I did it because it was a really fun, interesting puzzle, you know, cuz you know, you can write a game in basic and that's that's a, that's one challenge. But to try to get it to fit in just 10 lines, that's a completely different kind of challenge and you start thinking about what if I do this instead and all of a sudden, yeah, you're doing all sorts of weird little tricks. So it was it was fun. That is cool. Very cool. And it's nice to have a little plaque to put somewhere, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's really neat. So let us know once you, uh, if you complete it, uh, let us know and we can maybe share the program with people. 
Sure. Yeah, you bet. Now that I know that I can actually play uh, uh, Robotron with two uh, sticks plugged into both ports, I remember seeing on uh, on eBay where somebody they actually sold it. It's like a two by four, but uh, <laughs> yep. the space so you can sync a, a twenty six hundred joystick in there. Mm-hmm. So all I got to get is that two by four with two routed spaces. <laughs> I can put a joystick in each, and there I go. Yeah. Well, and there's also Indiana Jones. That's a two stick uh, game as well. So oh, on the twenty six hundred, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which yeah, that I game is really, that game is really hard if you forget that fact. That game is like, how do I do anything in this game? Yeah, and mm-hmm. I actually played that game when I was younger and I beat it. And I don't remember if I cheated or not, but I do remember it being quite difficult. Like you had to line up at the right time and it was one of those games. It's like, how would I know this unless I read somebody's, you know, cheat sheets? Yep. Mm-hmm. So, oh. Review one, fight. So, uh, this is my review of Archon. The official name of Archon is Archon, the Light and the Dark, and it was an electronic arts game. It was made in 1983 on disc and 1987 for the cart, and the model number is RX8092. Uh, it's a strategy, turn-based action game, and uh, the original developers were Freefall Associates. Uh, programmer was Ann Westfall. We also have the designer, John Freeman, Paul Reich, yep. the yep. third is the designer and did graphics. And he was a much young, younger guy, so I guess this was one of his first projects. On the cover is uh, Phoenix versus Dragon, and in black and white, it's beautiful. And here's the description on the back of the box. A magical medieval playing field rendered on a landscape of an overgrown chessboard looms before you within the mystical areas of the phoenixes, golems, and wizards. Like magical beings, their powers change as they move from square to square. When two opponents meet, the board explodes into a battlefield. Your pieces use their awesome powers to fight banshees, golems, and sorceresses. They cast spells and missiles. They pummel, pierce, and throw flames. They even take on each other's shapes and characteristics. You will need all your skill, dexterity, and wisdom to control and guide your side. Your magic rises and ebbs with the board's luminosity cycle. As the light changes, so does your power. You must race against time and use your strength effectively. Archon is a contest of action and strategy between opposing forces wrought from myth and legend. The light and the dark side are equal in force, balance, in strength. Though they are not identical, their goals are the same. Each side exists to conquer by limiting all the opposing pieces or control the five power points. So let me give you some background on the game. Uh, there were three things that inspired uh, the developers. First thing was a chess set featuring the character Conan. Uh, the, a life-size live-action chess game seen at Renaissance Fair in Northern California. And, of course, we all know the holographic game featured in Star Wars A New Hope. The game took six months to complete. At the same time, John Robert Leland, uh, who's a programmer, and Paul Reich, the designer, were developing Murder on the Zinderduff. So I, I never played that game. I've seen it in the, in the stores, but that's one I should probably pick up and play. So EA approached the Freefall team after seeing their publication in a magazine that Freefall never even knew got published, which I thought was kind of funny. So they didn't even know that EA had seen the ad. And so when EA came to them, they were a little skeptical, like, who are these people? (laughs) Both Archon and Murder were uh, pitched to Trip Hawkins of EA at the same time. Uh, Game characters. So on the light side, you have a wizard, which is uh, from English fantasy. You have a unicorn, which is from Greek. Archers, which come from Latin, French, and English. Nothing special there. The Golem is Jewish. Valkyrie, of course, Norse. The Genie, which is Arabic. Phoenix, Greek. And the Knight is English. On the dark side, you have the Sorceress, English fantasy. The Basilisk, that's Greek. Manticore, Persian. The Troll is from Norse mythology. Shapeshifter is common. 
Dragon is from Chinese and the Greek. Banshee is Irish and Gollum is European. Let's talk about the uh, character's abilities. So you have three types of movement. You have air, ground, and teleport. The weapons, there's uh, three types are melee, proximity, and projectile. They have uh, different strengths. You have weak, moderate, and strong. The weapon speed is slow, medium, fast, and instant. Recharge time, very short, short, long, and very long. And lifeline lengths are very short, short, long, and very long, so similar. And by the way, the shapeshifter's abilities match the opponent they're fighting. For spells, they can only be performed by the wizard or sorceress. Each spell type can only cast once per game. You can't cast against uh, characters on a PowerPoint. Each time a spell is cast, the uh, magician becomes weaker, and the spells available to the uh, magical characters, uh, the sorceress and the wizard, are heal, shift time, revive, uh, exchange, exchange places, summon elemental, and imprison, which keeps the character you cast against frozen in place for a period of time, but they can still fight. Uh, Michael? Yes. Michael, if I could just add, because I played this game quite a bit, Mm -hmm. just in case people don't know what shift time means... Um, oh, that's good. Yeah. That? Sure. So shift time as the board changes from light to dark and dark to light, you can basically turn it around. So if you're, say, a light character and it starts to go into the dark, you can shift it and it'll come back to the light again. So it'll give you more. Uh, sorry, I should say this for the light characters, the light of the board, the more power they get. And the darker the board is, the more power the dark characters get. I guess it's worth pointing out that um, the board is basically like a checkerboard, but n- not it's not black and white, black and white. It, there, there's kind of this pattern of black and white and then this other color that, that gets lighter and darker. So there are spots that are always dark, spots that are always light, and then spots that change color over time as, as the game progresses. Yes. Um, and I guess shift time basically just reverses the, the direction that the, the color change is going. Exactly. Yeah, so let's say, for example, the turn just started, and now the what I'll call the neutral squares – the ones that change, you know, from lighter to darker. So let's say your turn starts and let's say you're the light side and the neutral squares now turn to the dark side. So now you're at a disadvantage. So for example, your wizard could uh, do the spell of shift time. And then what happens is those neutral squares, which are now on the dark, will go back to the light, giving the uh, advantage back to the light side. Is that correct? I think that's how it works. Yep, that's correct. Okay. So let's talk about the main play field. The, you have a nine by nine tile uh, board, alternating light and dark, except for 19 luminous squares. The luminous squares um, back and forth from light to dark and dark to light uh, through six shades. You have five PowerPoint squares and you have a home position for the wizard and the sorceress. Those don't change shade. The battlefield is uh, features two characters, uh, randomly placed obstructions and a lifeline for each character. So um, one, one thing to point out, and, and it was it was built into the description on the back of the box, but but you're playing this game basically on a chess field, but the minute two characters come to each other, they actually start fighting, and that that's probably comes straight from Star Wars. Um, but but the the screen expands. But the whole idea that you know just placing one character on top of another doesn't necessarily beat them and have that that moving character take the spot. Um, I think in the manual they, they said that it's it's. It's not defeatist like chess is. Basically, if you know, if you have a pawn that drops onto a knight, pawn wins. But in this game, if you have a dragon against, you know, a troll, you know, dragon's probably always going to win in case you're pretty lucky. So yeah, well, then there's there's certain characters like I the troll against the phoenix. I always the phoenix generally loses because he's got a certain cycle of his explosion, and I can always time it and get him. So. There's certain characters that seem like they would lose to a, a more superior character, but it depends on how skillful you are. 
what I also like about the game is I like the um, the randomly placed obstacles. Yeah. So uh, they can either help you or not help you, as you as we know when we play this game. But it keeps it for me more fresh because when I get to that square, I never know which obstacles are going to pop up, where they're going to pop up. And that way it's a bit of a, kind of like a variety between like usually this is a game really uh, is a two, is one of my all time favorite two player games. Yeah. So uh, I do like that. And, you know, plus with the obstacles popping up, you just never know. Sometimes you can have this awesome, you know, powerful character, let's say like the genie or something like that. And you've got and uh, and you've got some, uh, you know, smaller kind of like melee type character. But, you know, if the awesome character gets that caught up on the obstacles, you know, you might have a couple of chances to give him a whack. Yeah, and that, that's something to say is these, these pop in from time to time, and they sometimes are solid or semi, uh, semi-solid, so you can actually – they slow you down. It's, yeah, it's, so there's like a luminosity cycle within the battlefield to yeah. some of but not all of the obstructions it seems like. Yeah, it's great. It's nice yeah. randomness to the game. So uh, to finish the game, you uh, one of the team uh, teams have to occupy all five power points. Uh, you have to knock all the opponents off the off the battlefield. Or it's a draw where there's no possible chance for anybody to win. Yeah. And I guess one thing to say about the PowerPoints is, is um, let me see, there's one in the middle, uh, yep. one at the top, one at the bottom in the center, and then yep. one on the center left and right. And those are on the wizard and sorcerer or sorceress, yeah. which means, you know, you can probably take four of them pretty easily. You yeah. start with one of them already, but then you have to, uh, you got to go basically against the boss, your opponent. <laughs> To, to get that last one, so. Yeah, and nothing, it's not like the, like you kill the king, there's no king in the game, but yeah. you definitely be, I mean, those those uh, wizard and sorcerers are pretty powerful characters. Yeah. So to lose them is is a, a great, um, I'm trying to It does not word. bode well no. for, the, for your side, let's put yeah, it that way. Exactly. So um, let's talk about some of the legacy of the game Archon. So it was ported to many different systems. That includes the Apple II, Commodore 64, uh, Mika, IBM PC. Apple Macintosh, NES, Amstrad, CPC, ZX Spectrum, and PC-88. So there's no reason why you shouldn't be able to pick up this game and play it. So its follow-up was, of course, Archon 2, Adept. It's a 1984 sequel. And they also made it for the Apple II and for Atari and Copper 64, Amiga, Amstrad, CPC, and ZX Spectrum. Looks like the PC-88 was left out. Unfortunately, it was never released for cartridge, so we're never going to review it, at least for the Cart by Cart podcast. There's also Archon Ultra, which is a 1984 remake for MS-DOS, and Freefall made it as well. And it was published by SSI, I remember those guys, uh, making a lot of strategy game. Yeah. Um, there's also Unholy War, uh, which is a 1988 spiritual successor by Paul Reich III for the PlayStation, and uh, by Toys for Bob, and published by Crystal Dynamics. There's also Combat Chess, which is a mini game, uh, very similar to Archon, within 2004's Mortal Kombat Deception for the PS2, Xbox, GameCube, and PSP. There's, uh, in 2009, they made Archon Conquest for the iPhone by React Games, and it was licensed by Freefall. And you can still get it today via the App Store. And finally, you got Archon Classic, a 2010 Windows remake by React Games. I actually checked this one out on Steam, but you can play as the old characters, which oh, is the old awesome. sprites. <laughs> yeah, it's really cool as I saw. And it's not just like I can, you have to play as all sprites, the old sprites and the new sprites. No, you can mix and match. Oh, that's it's, funny. It's, it's awesome. <laughs> oh, well, that's definitely, I'm going to get that definitely done. Yeah, it looks good too. And the play, the battlefield looks great and all. So it's, it's, it's pretty cool. 
So as far as other reviews, Antic did an interview with John Freeman from Freefall Associates. Wikipedia has an article for Archon and Freefall. Atari Mini has entries for XEGS Cart from 1987 and for the XL Disc, 1983. And finally, 8-Bit Rocket, Jeff Fulton did a review, and all these will be in our show notes. So you can click on the links and read them yourself. Uh, where can you buy Archon? Because it's a wonderful game. Well, you can get a Best Electronics, of course, for $34. Um, you can get a BNC Computer Vision for $29.95. Both of those are carts. And, of course, eBay. Disc is $75 loose. Wow. Uh, $128 sealed and up to $200 sealed. Wow. And that's of night. That was, yeah, that was, that was about a week ago. And the cart is a little less. It's $59.95. And you can buy it now from BNC. Uh, plus various sales in Europe. Uh, in Europe, it's $18.90. Uh, to $21 and, uh, to, uh, to 38, I should say euros. So, and that is of the 16th as well this year. So I'll just say this. I've played both and I don't notice any differences between the two. So I would say if you get it in the carts, um, go for the cheaper one. Yeah. And I picked up uh, my cart uh, of the game from uh, BNC computer visions and yeah, I paid in 59.95, but it was a brand new. Right. And it was worth every penny. And I played, and I played that for the review. So I really enjoyed it. So, uh, let's start with the review. So what do I like about the game? Well, first of all, I mentioned before, great mythology. I mean, there's lots of, they pull from different, um, different types of mythology. Uh, the AI is very challenging. I played it myself, uh, just recently and I barely won. Um, the animation is very smooth and the characters look very well defined. It wasn't like, what is that thing? I could make it out. I mean, it made complete sense. Uh, the play field is very good. I like the chessboard idea, but it's slightly different and it's ever changing. Spells mix it up a little bit. Um, characters are pretty even. I looked at all of them and some characters seem stronger than others, but they all seem to pretty much balance. The controls are very responsive, had no issues. I like the entry music. It's very catchy. Sounds are very good. And of course the excellent cover art. And I would say if I could get myself uh, uh, just a picture of that, I would hang it on my wall. Excellent cover art. Hey, if 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 you look at it, you'll you'll notice that the dragon and the uh, the phoenix are kind of kind of clinging to this kind of pentagon shaped Escher esque cube box weird thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So five powerpoints right there, huh? Yeah, that's yeah. that's very nice. And of course, the manual is is excellent. I read through it. I found it online and and read through it. And I have a link for that as well. But very well written. And, and it's got images and all that stuff, so it's, it's well done. Uh, well, uh, if I could just add what I love about the, uh, the old EA, um, games that when they originally came on disc was how they were like, uh, record albums. That's, mm-hmm. yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, that's yeah. the whole point of it. And they, they did a little extra for the, for the games. Um, so what could be improved? So the health, you can see the health of the characters in the, f- when you're fighting on the battlefield. But there are times when I, I want to heal a character. When you move mouse over them, or I shouldn't say mouse over them, but you move over them with their cursor, you can't tell if they need healing or not. So they should have exposed that. And I would actually like to just, you know, see that at all times. I mean, anytime you go over a character, you should be able to see what their health is. I'd like to see more difficulty options. There was just one, you know. And then it would be nice to see some different board layouts, different game types. Would yeah, I guess I guess what Archon Two added it, it gave a rectangular board instead of a square board, and mm-hmm. um and it gave you the elements instead of just light and dark. So you had you had different like um like more water related characters would play better on a water background versus right. a land background and so forth. So so they kind of did that in having a sequel. 
Yeah. Um, and you know, that's the thing is the first game. I mean, these are, these are starting points. So mm-hmm. I'm not complaining, but you know, you have to kind of balance it out a little bit. And I had to say, well, it would have been nice if there was a little bit extra, but. Well, definitely, uh, when it comes to difficulty option, cause right now the only one that's there for me playing by myself is you lose. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I got close. I got close. I was down to a couple guys on the, the yeah. computer. Well, desk. I, yeah, I even wrote on the Facebook post that said, this game has humbled me many times tonight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, it's it's a definitely a challenging. It's not like you could just win every time because I think that would make it boring. Yes. So here's my score. For graphics, I give it a 7 out of 10. Uh, for sound effects, 7 out of 10. The music, although there's only one song at the beginning, I still think they did a really good job on it, so I give it an 8 out of 10. Mm-hmm. Gameplay and playability, definitely 8 out of 10. Uh, controls, they worked really well. I felt comfortable they seem to move well so what kind, what, kind of, what kind of controller did you use sorry i actually yeah unfortunately i had to use a uh, xbox uh, 360 controller so okay i wouldn't recommend that <laughs> <laughs> but even with that it played well i had no problems i mean you know you get used to it but i wish i had my uh, good old joystick back and and hopefully in the future i'll be able to buy something or play it on my recently purchased xl what so. did you, uh, Bill? What did you use to? I, uh, I used play? a, a CX40 on my on my 1200XL. Okay. I, I used the dis, uh, a, a copy of the disc version, let's say. Okay. So, so I used the slick stick. Uh huh. Anybody aware of that stick? Mm-hmm. Yes. Sun-com? Yep. Yeah. Not not so good or good. No, no. It's uh, for me. It's very good because it has a very uh, short um, throw. Okay. Yeah. Uh, for me, it's it's because it has a very short throw, so you don't have to move it a lot to you know move quickly. So, yeah, and you know that's the thing about the controls is I always think that it's not the controller you're using, but how does the game react to those controls? Does it make sense? You know, yeah. is how you interact with the game does the does the controls uh, work for it? And I found that I didn't have any issues with it, so very happy with that. Now replayability. Well, from my experience, I love this game. I would play this constantly with my friends. I still would play with my friends if they would come over and want to play this with me. <laughs> it's just a fun game. It's just, it's so great just to go head head at, at night and just love this game. It's just a great game. So out of that, all those scores, I give this thing an eight out of 10. Definitely. So I guess it's David's turn. What did you think? Okay. So it's my turn. Okay. So graphics, I gave it just a little lower. I gave it a six. I said the graphics were adequate, but nothing that shows off the power of the XEGS. Right. And uh, because I also, uh, you know, I also uh, own a Commodore 64, and mm. and I played that game tons of times with my friend. Uh, what I just liked about the Commodore 64 version was the characters just had a little bit of a black outline mm-hmm. that goes cool. around them, just so they just so they stick out a little bit more, right. maybe. But um, but still, they're adequate. Uh, it looks okay. Uh, you know, nothing to be embarrassed about. It's a, it's a good looking game for me for the you know for the era that it came out in. Uh, the sound effects um, for for me, I get a seven out of ten. They're nice. They do the job. Um, the music for me is it's just it's so great that okay, everybody, I know that was terrible, but I'll never do that again. Uh, <laughs> okay, I won't do. I promise not to do it again. But that's such an iconic music. It's so great. Uh, I'm giving it an eight out of ten. Uh, it's the uh, opening theme is very memorable for me. Yep. Um, but other than the intro, those there. Other than the intro music, there's no music in the game. 
Gameplay playability, I gave a nine. I said every game is a little different. Depends, uh, has a lot to depend on chance, strategy, skill, but really fun uh, uh, two player versus with a friend who hopefully sucks worse than you. <laughs> okay. Uh, controls, I also gave it uh, an eight out of ten. I said the controls are good, but shooting at an angle sometimes can be tricky. That's so true. that's for me. Okay, uh, for replayability, I give it a 10. As far as I'm concerned, this game is timeless. Uh, you know, just how you can play chess over and over and again. It's the same as Archon, but it's the multiplayer mode that makes this game really shine. So when I calculated it all up, uh, the average came to an 8. So we uh, came up with the same score. Nice. So, uh, Bill. Yeah, all right. I, I think I agree with you in graphics. I, I gave it also 6 out of 10. Um, you know, I... I I felt that they could have had a couple more pixels in there to, to show some detail of, of what each uh, sprite was, at least when they were sitting static on the board. Um, you can tell that they turned into sprites. They're a little bit wider. Obviously, they're animated really nicely as they move around, um, uh, as they move along in the board and then obviously in the, in the battlefield. Um, sound effects, 7 out of 10. Uh, does a pretty good job. Adequate. Music, 8 out of 10. Um, yeah, the, the, I, what I love about the, the intro is is it does that little as the free fall logo is kind of falling yeah. down the screen and, and that, yeah, that was very memorable. Um, they did that in adept. Yeah. Your version is better than mine. <laughs> um, gameplay playability, uh, eight out of 10. Um, I unfortunately only played one player, um, control seven out of 10. I, I also had a problem shooting diagonally, but I, I think what I need to do is I, I need to get used to holding the button and then firing off and then yeah. letting go of the button. But it gets really hard when one of those guys are, are barreling down on you because you're just like, hey, get me out of here. I got to shoot this guy. <laughs> Replayability, 7 out of 10. The strategy games aren't super up my alley. So it gets, you know, chess especially um, is a little frustrating for me because I'm not, I'm not good at thinking ahead and I'm not good at coming up with a strategy. So for me, it's if I do well with the Twitch part, then I luck out and I can beat the game maybe, but haven't done that yet. So on average, uh, I ended up giving it seven. And, uh, you know, Bill, I do agree with you and Michael. Um, that happens a lot to me when, um, you know, because there's a, when you're playing this game and you want to shoot, how you were saying that you've got to, uh, what is it? Do you have to let go of the joystick and then press the fire button or do you have to? If you hold the fire button, you stop moving. And then, and then as you're holding the fire button, if you point in a direction, you shoot. So if you're moving left and you hit the fire button, you'll also shoot left. But if yeah. you stop, hold the button, then you can shoot whatever direction you want. And you just have to, you have to be real quick at doing that. Otherwise you're going to get ran over. Uh huh. Stabbed, okay, well, stabbed by a knight. Or, uh, or a, or a go- goblin. Yeah. With his club. Yep. So um, we have some external reviews, which we will put in the show notes, but there's ones from Atari Mania and, a, and one from Video Game Critic. And we also provide you with some information sources so you can see where we got our information from. Review 2. Fight. Now a bit of an overview of Bug Hunt. Uh, its model is RX8087. The genre is it's a shooter with a, a light gun, obviously. Okay, and the uh, developer was Atari. The programmer was Rob Zabel. And the graphics were handled by Alan Murphy. Now let's get into the description, boys and girls. It's late at night, and you're still in the lab, working out the bugs on your newest computer board. If you can, just clean up the last noisy circuit. You'll finally be recognized as a true Atari game designer. Suddenly, real bugs start popping out everywhere, crawling all over your motherboard. How can you finish your work? You grab your light gun and start shooting. 
And uh, basically, yeah, let me tell you something. When I was playing this game, I wouldn't worry about the motherboard uh, being damaged by bugs because by the time you kill all the bugs, your board is Swiss cheese from all the missed shots. <laughs> okay. Uh, then the description continues. More and more bugs pop out. Flies, roaches, termites, ants, spiders. They race faster and faster over your board. You've got to destroy them before they drive you crazy. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, uh... Uh, one thing uh, about this game, it, it gave me kind of like a sci-fi vibe it, through, because of that monochromatic green color that never changes, by the way. Uh, the game uh, is divided into seven waves, each one more difficult than the last. The objective is to shoot as many bugs using as least amount of shots. Bugs also stay on the screen for only a few seconds. The wave ends when the last bug is hit or disappears. Or you uh, can't take it anymore. You throw the light gun on the ground and run away. <laughs> so it's basically like whack-a-mole from a distance. <laughs> That's right. Okay. Oh, I never thought of it like that. Yeah. Okay, the smaller the target, the more points it's worth. A frog is 100 points. A frog, where the hell does a frog <laughs> become a hardware bug? And plus this lazy frog doesn't even bother eating the bugs for me. Yeah. Okay. And he's only worth 100 points. Okay. And then he's probably the slowest and the biggest one to shoot. That's why he's only worth 100 points. And then you have, then you have the caterpillar, roach and spider, which if they're really fast, they're worth 2000 points each. As this game is not just about shooting, uh, all of the bugs. It's about shooting the bugs with the least amount of shots, meaning accuracy is king. To pass the first wave, you've got to have 25% accuracy, which I do very well. That means one out of four shots registers on a bug. Gotcha. Uh, wave two, to pass through wave two, you've got to have a, a, a of an accuracy of 33%. Wave three, you need an accuracy of 50%. Wave four, you need an accuracy of 66%. Wave five, you need an accuracy of 75%. And wave six, you need an accuracy of 80%. Not going to happen. Mm -mm. It's got an interesting humor to it because depending on your final score, you're given a title or a rank. Now, what's interesting is because this was a game uh, made by coders or programmers, mm -hmm. the lowest rank would be normally the highest rank in the uh, corporate uh, ladder. So uh, if you really suck at it, you're a CEO. And if you are really good, you, you and you're like the, you're you're on the top, you're a troubleshooter. Okay, so the best I could do was director, which I believe is about uh, thirty thousand to thirty nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine points. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I was, I was pretty much the director too. So, <laughs> and that's I, with the mouse. I was the director of my own destruction. Yes. Okay, so graphics. What do I give for graphics? Well, I gave it a 5 out of 10. The play field has good detail. The bugs have good animation, but the monochrome green sci-fi look fades fast. All the levels look exactly the same. There's no variety in the levels. And it does not, and, it, and this game does not show off the power of the system. And it's not as fun as Nintendo's Duck Hunt. Not that Duck Hunt is any more challenging, but the variety of colors makes it more visually appealing on the eyes. Yeah. Uh, the sound effects, I would give it a five. They're only a handful of sounds, but they get the job done. Nothing memorable. I give it a zero for music as it has no music. For gameplay and playability, I give it a five out of ten. 
Now that will depend on your uh, light gun's alignment and the size of the screen you're playing on. Now I was playing on a Commodore 1702 13 inch monitor. So just imagine me, uh, my 13 inch monitor is set up, my Zegs is on top of the monitor. I didn't want to cheat. I took a look at the length of the cord of the light gun. It's, it's over six feet. So I'm sitting on a chair. I got the light gun in one hand, I got a tape measure in the other. Okay. So here I am at six and a half feet, six feet away from the, uh, the screen. Can't hit anything. Slowly move up, slowly move up. This game became playable for me on a 13 inch screen at two feet. So basically the nozzle had to be two feet away from the screen in order for me to hope, you know, in order to have a decent amount of accuracy. One of the problems I did find in it is this game, you just have to use the light gun. There's no joystick required. You select what game you're playing, everything's done through the light gun. But somehow on the screen, on the bottom, there'll be two uh, options. One will say, you know, one player game or two player game. I found when the game was over, in order for me to restart the game, I found it so difficult to shoot the one player option that usually I'd have to bend over, lean over to get close enough uh, to uh, shoot that so I could start a new game. Not sure why exactly that is, but that's how it was for me. So my average for this game is a solid three. But if I didn't factor in the music, it makes it to a four. Now, by, now, I just want to say, this is not an awful game. This is not a terribly coded game. It's just that at the time it was made, it seems to me that they just needed to throw something in that box. And when you read the uh, XCGS box, the description, it says comes with, I think it says comes with light gun game. They didn't even put comes with bug hunt. <laughs> okay? So it looks to me like bug hunt was maybe something that was made quickly just to have something in there. Right. But, you know, if you're going to go against a Nintendo and uh, what they were, you know, what they were presenting with Duck Hunt, uh, you know, any one of the other shooter games, I don't know if it was Crossbow or, or any of the other games would have been a better idea to have packed that in with the system. So, Michael, uh, what are your feelings on the game? So, I use an emulator since I don't have a light gun or um, I don't have my uh, my XL hooked up. And um, so, what I liked about the game was I thought it was an interesting concept. You're literally killing bugs in hardware, uh, something that a QA sort of knows about. Uh, the green color palette did match the circuit board look and feel. You get tw a total of 12 different bugs to shoot. The game collects your shot statistics, which is nice. And the animation looked good. I mean, they, they look like actually bugs. Um, what could be improved? Well, the hit detection isn't good. I actually saw where an explosion happened on, say, the frog, hit him in the leg, did not kill him. So you have to hit him dead center, or at least, you know, within a certain, uh, hit box. David, you mentioned this, mm -hmm. a frog is not a bug. No. And frogs eat bugs. That's right. Spiders kill bugs. So why are we killing spiders? They also had things called a G bug, a big bug. Why not just use regular bugs? I mean, they had some bugs that were bugs and some bugs that were not real bugs. I didn't quite understand that. So, mm -hmm. um, I, I know there's, what about ladybugs? I mean, there's mm. praying mantis. I don't know. Um, you only have one game. You shoot the bugs. That's it. <laughs> um, color palette is boring. It's total green. I mean, I understand I said that it matches the, the hardware look, but there could have been so much more done with it. Um, you get three sounds. You get the, sh well, including the intro, but it's pretty much the same as one of the other ones, but you get a shot boom, you get a kill buzz, and you get a bugs appear bloop. That's all you get. Um, I didn't understand what the title screen was. I, 
the picture is I don't know what is that thing, and um the the I I pulled the manual lousy cover art, I mean I swear to God it looks like a thirteen year old drew that thing it's terrible so what do I give graphics I'm gonna be a little bit I mean I'm gonna say six out of ten um just because I think the animation looked like insects I'll give it that and it wasn't terrible sound effects mm, five music well no music zero gameplay playability five. Um, controls four. I mean, I'm using a mouse, but like I said, the hit detection really was a takeaway. And replayability three. I, I would see playing this maybe 15 minutes when you get the th- system and it goes in the box. So maybe I'm being generous with that replayability. Maybe when you have friends come over. So that averages out to about a four. And Bill, what do you think? Well, I only got as far as watching a YouTube video. <laughs> Better things Hold on a second. Do you mean to tell me that that Michael and I had to suffer <laughs> to make this game, and all you did was watch a lame YouTube video? I looked up the background and the developers, and yeah. Hey, I oh. hazard pay for this, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, I didn't even find Duck Hunt that interesting. I don't have a physical light gun. I, I didn't have time to to find a ROM for this thing and try to try it out in an emulator. So I just watched the video and I called it a day. I'm sorry, guys. That's okay. But, uh, yeah, it's not going to be a very high review. Graphics, I gave it a 5 out of 10. I liked I liked the detail, but the, the monochromatic color was a little boring after a while. Like, they could have at least palette-cycled it a little bit or done yeah. some kind of tricks, maybe, to, like, make it interesting. Like, things could be invisible for a while or... I don't well, know. even if they made the bugs different colors... From a technical standpoint, I understand why they they couldn't, because they weren't yeah. trying to do anything fancy, but it would be really easy to make the entire screen shades of red or shades of green, uh, blue or shades of yellow or something like that. But they you know they just kept green, green, green. Um, so yeah, I get 5 out of 10 for the graphics. It, it, it's pretty nice looking art, but... Mm. Well, and, and, and you, were, you were saying about you could do tricks. I mean, they were in grids. They had complete control of where everything was. They could have done, you know, horizontal blanks or something to make certain bugs, like don't put the same bug in the same spot at the same time, but yeah. use different colors yeah. and color differently. It's just like it was lazy. But yeah. like I said, maybe it was an afterthought. Yeah, I, I think I, I get the feeling this was a rush game. It'd be interesting to talk to a. Uh... The developers. Um, but sound effects, I gave it a four out of if, ten. If we, if they, if they haven't come out of hiding. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually met. I, I knew Alan. Um, I, I worked with him at a mobile game company. And, oh, you're uh, kidding. Yeah, and uh, oh, wow. yeah, I'm friends with him on Facebook. He moved to Hawaii, so I never get to see him anymore. But uh, but yeah, it's so anyway. Uh, yeah, right. So. <laughs> right. so sorry, mu- Alan. <laughs> yeah, music. No, yeah, I, 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 I apologize too. I think I think his is probably the best part of this game is is the actual the, the cute little animations even though they don't make sense for for this game with frogs right. stuff, but anyway so sound effects I gave it a four out of ten it's not great that might even be kind of high if I think back to it uh, music zero so it's either zero or na so I didn't get a chance to play so I'm not gonna include those in my average so it's between a three and a four depending on if you know I ding it for not having music yeah um, so that's it that's me. Okay, well, you know what? Uh, uh, for a list of external reviews, uh, see the show notes. Uh, we'll post them up. But uh, generally, uh, the average was around 4 out of 10 and all the way up to 8 out of 10. So 
you know, it's not for, it's not a game for everybody, but some people do like it, and that's fine. Uh, information sources, the game manual, uh, it will, it'll be up on the show notes. Uh, so for additional information, uh, take a look at the, our website. We'll post it on the show notes, uh, link to the game manual, other uh, ports and reviews. Uh, we have an interview with Antic uh, with Alan Murphy. And uh, where to buy this if you actually still want to buy this after listening to this review. <laughs> uh, Best Electronics has it for sale. It's about $12. BNC Computer Visions, card only about 20 bucks. eBay, if you get get it with the light gun, uh, it's around 39 bucks. But otherwise, it runs the gamut from 3 bucks to 30 bucks. Wow. And uh, e- and a light gun on its own uh, will cost you anywhere anywhere from 25 bucks and up. So, so we, uh, we talked about – I forget if we talked about in the very first episode about – and it, I'm guessing most listeners to our show already know this, but these optical light guns, they work with CRT TVs yes. and monitors. They do not work with the modern LCD or LED stuff right. because it's looking for a particular signal and speed and flashing colors and stuff. So um, so yeah, if, if, you, if you don't want to dig out an old monitor and get a light gun and play this game, then – then don't do it, I guess. <laughs> but if you do, you can go to any thrift store and they'll have one for you. Yep. So yep. not monitor, but TVs. They're yeah. they're plentiful. Yeah. Or 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 but, you know, on the curb sometimes. Yeah. I yeah. See that. I, hmm, no, no, no. I don't yeah. have room for that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So that's about it for this episode. We want to thank everyone for their feedback. Uh, we've run out of time for this episode, but um, we'll read your feedback in our next edition. But in the meantime, we received an audio submission from Shinto of the Jaguar Game by Game podcast. So let's hear what he has to say. There was an early episode of the Atari 2600 Game by Game podcast, episode 25, covering Activision skiing. In my audio submission for that episode, I talk about a major, awesome, going-out-of-business sale. I think the year was 1991, and the store was called Children's Palace. It was the stuff of dreams to an Atari fan. Have you ever, have you ever wondered if some toy store might have old boxes of Atari stuff sitting in the back room unwanted by them, but desperately wanted by you? The store opened up that back room when it went out of business, and there were old boxes of Atari stuff. Every weekend, the store increased the discount percentage. Everything must go 25% off, everything 30% off, everything 35% off, and so forth. By the time it hit 50% off, we would beg our parents to take us down there as about a 45-minute drive, and they did, twice. We bought as many 2600 games as we could afford, sure, but, but there was more. I found a new-in-box XE game system with a $25 price tag on it. It didn't seem right, 25 bucks. It almost looked like someone stuck a different price tag on it. We didn't. I, I, don't, I don't know why someone would swap price tags and then leave it, but I have no other explanation. So when I took it up to the counter, the girl ringing us up took a good long look at that price tag, expecting the same thing we did, but in the end she shrugged and rung it up. I bought a brand new Atari XEGS in-box, for $12.50. I knew about the XE, and I drooled over the XE, at least from a distance, as it stayed well out of reach behind the counter at KB Toy Store, our usual video game purchasing destination. The system box looked awesome, the game boxes looked awesome. I would I would stare at the box art for Hardball, which, which featured a, a screenshot from the game, and that picture was the absolute pinnacle of what I thought video games could look like. It was stunningly realistic at the time. So the XE was something I wanted, but could in no way afford. Not until Children's Palace went out of business, and I found that box with a sketchy price tag on it. We went back for, I think it was 80% off weekend, and uh, they never went above 80. I, I stocked up on other Atari 8-bit computer games. I didn't have an 8-bit computer, um, so once I knew these games were compatible, I bought all I could afford. 
It, it was always funny, those, those giant 8-bit game boxes with the tiny actual cart inside. I love the look of the XE console. It was so so modern and edgy. I love the color of the light gray CX40 joystick. Even though it was technically the same joystick I'd been using for 8 plus years on the 2600, it still looked really cool. The, the light gun was neat, though with its straight handle, it was not as intimidating as the NES zapper. It, it looked like something could screw into the back of that gun, but we never could figure out what. The keyboard was mushy and, and somewhat unpleasant to use, but uh, this was the first computer that I had all to myself. I wrote basic programs, which I couldn't save. I played with Logo a bit, the cartridge I'd bought on 80% off day. I had used Logo a few years prior in elementary school on the Apple II, so it was familiar, but didn't really hold my interest. The XE game cartridges, though, they were awesome. I can't explain it. They're, they're certainly cheaper than the old 8-bit carts with the metal back and the cool dust flap, but, but there's something that I really like about the XE-style carts. Now, there were two kinds of carts, the, the ones with the ridges all around and the ones that were smooth but have the lip on the back to help remove them from the console. I prefer the ones with the ridges. Uh, sure, there's no top label and the edge connector is exposed, but, but the carts are, are small and, and sturdy and just plain fun to handle. Yeah, I, I can't explain that. Something else I bought on 80% off day, a book on Atari 800 computers, a programmer's reference guide for the Atari 400-800 computers, uh, Sam's Guide, and um, and a tape recorder, the kind you lay flat on the table and has a pop-up cassette tray in the middle. I wanted to be able to hook up that recorder to my XE in order to play Blackjack and Scram, which I had bought on cassette tape at 80% off. I did say I bought all I could, but but also to save some of my programs I was writing. I did a lot of programming in GW Basic on my dad's 8088, but the, the graphics and sound capabilities of the Atari made for some much cooler possibilities, and I, I didn't really want to get into it unless I had a way to save them. My dad wanted to help. Uh, my parents had just gotten divorced, so I would visit my dad every other weekend or so. He, he looked at the SIO connector on the XE, thought, uh, hmm, 13-pin male RS-232, and we went off to Radio Shack to find a suitable adapter so that we could make our cable to the cassette player. Radio Shack, of course, had no such connector, so we bought a DB25, like a 25-pin serial connector, female, and filed off 12 of the pins so that it would match. And it didn't. The, the spacing is entirely different. There, there are pins that you can buy, female pin connectors. It would slide over the male pins so that you could connect the wires to them securely, but, you know, kind of floppily. I don't know why, but we didn't seem to have enough. After that weekend, my brother kept bugging me to sacrifice a controller, sacrifice a controller to get some more of those those style of pins. I didn't, and our SIO to headphone jack adapter was never finished. I don't even know if it would have worked in the first place. A couple of years later, I bought an Atari 800XL with, uh, with a couple floppy drives and a bunch of software at a garage sale. I spent the majority of my time playing with that system, the XL instead of the XE. It has a better keyboard and it takes up less space. But I, I still have a definite soft spot for the Atari XEGS. Let's see, XE games were hard to find at the time I, I bought mine. And uh, I bought a couple from Horizon Computers, the Atari-specific retailer I talk about in Episode 1 of the Atari Jaguar Game by Game podcast. My collection is fairly modest. I have eight games in the XE style. I, I still have my original console, though it's not in as good shape as it used to be. For a couple years in the latter half of the 90s, I lived in this crummy little house and kept all my Atari stuff in a cabinet in the basement. In this place, the XE turned an ugly shade of yellow. I think there were some windows uh, there that were walled off by the cabinet. Weird, weird house. 
the strip along the uh, side of the light gun, the glue on that broke down and the strip broke off in a couple places, but but mostly the yellowing is, is what makes that console unappealing to look at right now. I may try to retro-bright the system at some point, see if I can restore its original color, because it certainly is a unique-looking system with the, the pastels and, and the angles. Thank you, gentlemen, for starting this podcast. The XCGS would be the black sheep in the Atari 8-bit family if it wasn't so brightly colored, so it's nice to have a dedicated podcast for it. If you accept audio submissions for individual games, expect me to chime in from time to time. But uh, thank you all, and I wish you the best. So, I, you know, I, I thought uh, Shinto's feedback was interesting. One, one, one thing I was wondering when we came into to doing the show was, you know, I, I realized that, that I was around eight years old when I got my Atari computer. And it was a, an XL. It was a 1200 XL, so it was right before the, the 800 and 600 came out, or maybe about the same time. Right. Um and then it occurred to me that there are people who are probably younger than me who their first computer may have been one of the later models, like the 65XE, the XEGS, and so forth. And, and to me, I was very curious about the XEGS because it was marketed as this game system slash computer. So I was really – it was like, oh, I guess people actually bought it, huh? People actually owned it, and like kids probably started learning basic and stuff on this thing. And I was wondering, boy, I wonder if we'll hear, hear from anyone who had that situation. And guess what? It was Shinto. So uh. – <laughs> At the very least, and don't forget, and don't forget, Shinto bought it for twelve dollars and fifty cents. Wow, brand new. Wow. Ay, ay, ay. Well, I got my Jaguars for thirty, so yeah. We weren't sure if we get his submission on time, but happily we did. So I'd like to introduce Kieran Hawkins and his new segment, where he reviews what they call in the UK budget games. For this episode, he'll be covering the game Fruit Machine Simulator, or what we call in the states a slot machine, as well as putting his two pence on Archon and Bug Hunt. We hope you enjoy his contribution to our little podcast. Hello, everybody. It's uh, Kieran here with The Voice from the UK. I should start off, really, by um, giving you a little bit of introduction to who I am, what I'm about. So, you know my name. Um, and other people may know me as The Laird on various forums. I've been part of the Atari community, ooh, um, got over 10 years now. I can't remember when I first became involved, probably around 2003, 2004. I'm probably most well-known for my work for Retro Gamer magazine, and in a way I almost feel slightly responsible <laughs> for this podcast in a way, because a couple of years ago I wrote a, a big article for Retro Gamer focusing on the XE game system, something that had never really rep- appeared in a mainstream magazine before. And around the same time, I also made a very in-depth YouTube video looking at the system, going through the history looking at a lot of its games, and um, it really raised, raised awareness of um, Atari's uh, console and computer hybrid system. Now, one of the things that I've always found interesting is is the shortening of um, the XE game system to XEGS. Um, I know me and David were having a discussion when we initially spoke on Skype about doing this podcast over the pronunciation of it. So... I tend to say the word Zegs. So I know, I, I, I know that uh, David quite liked that pronunciation. That's what I'll be sticking to. So when you hear me say Zegs, obviously that's what I'm referring to, is the, is the XE game system. Now, the XE game system is definitely my favourite Atari 8-bit. I never had an Atari 8-bit as a kid. It's something I got into in recent years. I originally had an Atari XL, but um, I've, which I picked up um, very, very cheap, but I stupidly sold it. And then um, started to miss it. Uh, and I decided I was going to get another Atari 8-bit. But I'd always really liked the look of the Zegs. I love the pastel buttons. 
I, I love the you know the the angular lines. I just think it's a really sexy looking console. I'd wanted one for so long, and I was lucky that um, one day I happened to be searching eBay on a whim, and saw one listed with fourteen games for fifty pounds on a buy it now. So snapped it right up there and then, and that is really where probably my big love affair with the Atari Eight Bits began. Because from there, I bought an Atari Max cartridge. I started to pick up um, games left, right, and centre. And I've got most of the blue box games now, as well as as well as lots of others on cartridge. And I love the way the blue box games look on a shelf. It was it had a really really nice design, and it's you know it's a great looking, um, not just great looking console, but the, the boxes look great as well. So as well as giving my opinion on the games, as alongside the other guys, telling you what I think, giving them my ratings out of ten, etc. etc. So yeah, I'll also be doing my own little segment, um, which. I think some of the American listeners especially will um, find interesting. I'll go a little bit more in, in, into what that's going to be about. Um, here in the UK, um, the Atari 8-bit had, had quite a, a strange life in many ways. We had the Atari 400 and 800, the same as, as everyone else did back in the early 80s. And um, the machines were never massively successful over here, mainly due to the price. But the... Um, and also the competition. I mean, we had, as many people know, we had a, a machine called the Spectrum, and the Sinclair Spectrum just simply took over in the UK. It was it was cheap, it was affordable, easy to program. Um, games were coming out left, right, and centre. It used tapes, which obviously helped with the, the cheapness of the games. You could use your own cassette recorder. Everything about it just suited the, the UK market at the time, and it, it really did rule the roost as far as eight bit micros were concerned. But you got modest support, the Atari 8-bits, and then they kind of got forgotten about. And then around the time that the Tramiels took over Atari, um, we got a bit of a renaissance in the Atari 8-bit world in that um, what they did was the um, around this time, the 800XL was around the 600XL. And what Jack Trammell decided to do was start price dumping all the old stocks so we could get the XE systems out and... You could go in, uh, we had a, a a big chain called Dixon's, which was the leading electronics chain. They were in, in every high street. They were absolutely huge chain. I mean, anyone from the UK will remember Dixon's. And they started selling the 800XL with a big bundle of games for less than £100 through Dixon's to shift them and get them out of the way. They proved highly popular. Dixon's sold them all quite quickly and made room for the XE machines. And this suddenly created a new user base of Atari 8-bit owners and so the software companies started to look at this and see that some money was going to be made and the big thing at this time definitely in the UK was a thing called budget software and budget software was all on tape and could be picked up from from just about everywhere I mean my local news agents sold budget software on a little stand you could go in it'd be next to all the suites and confectionery and everything there'd just be this little stand of games for a mix of 8-bit machines and there were some big labels um, that, were, that were knocking out budget games left, right and centre. And some of these labels will definitely be familiar to, to pretty much anyone interested in gaming. I mean, Codemasters, probably one of the best examples. They were a budget label. They went on to do really big things, creating things like the Game Genie and, you know, still going to this very day, specialising in racing games like the Dirt series, Conor McRae, etc, etc. Codemasters were a very popular budget label. They supported, started supporting the Atari with a few titles. We also had other labels like Players and Atlantis. We had Mastertronic, who were part of 
Virgin Games. Um, obviously, everyone knows who they are, um, with Richard Branson at the helm. And there was uh, more companies. There was um, companies like uh, Kicks and Ocean's Hit Squad range, which were supporting the budget scene with re-releases of, of older titles. And uh, these games were, were were proving popular, so people were stocking them, and, and and more titles continued to come along the way. But obviously, with these titles being very much confined to the to the UK market, a lot of Americans never got to sample um, a lot of these games. But there were some really fine games released over this period on the budget label, and uh, I think what I'm going to be doing is through this through through the um, Segs podcast episodes is introducing you to some of those budget games that uh, you might not know about that were released with the XC systems in mind and uh, so you can hunt them down take a look and and see what you think of them and uh, let's so let's go back a little bit rewind and uh, talk about the the two games we're looking at in this episode I'm not going to go massive in depth and tell you about them Um, I'll leave that up to the other guys but I will obviously give you my views and, and any any additional trivia that I feel I can add. So the first game is Archon, obviously by Electronic Arts. It's a very original title, um, which I think is it's got a lot of unique things about it, the way it's a kind of mixing chess and kind of a strategy war game and, and all these other elements. And it's a strange title. When I first picked it up, I didn't really know what it was about and it took me a while to get into. And... I'm not one for reading the instructions, but with this, I, I really had to before I got into it. And I, I can appreciate why people rave so much about it. I'd, I'd say it's still probably not a game for my tastes, but I can see, you know, why, why people like it. Um, the graphics are a little bit crude and there isn't much in-game sound, but what's there, I suppose, does the job. It's certainly no worse than the other 8-bit versions that appeared for other machines. So... Archon for me would be, I'd give it a 7 out of 10 certainly. And the second game um, on the list today is Bug Hunt. Uh, Bug Hunt was bundled with the deluxe version of the XE game system. So it was included with the system to be played with the um, XG1 light gun. So you had something to, to, to use that with. Bug Hunt was very unique in that it was created purely for the launch of the XE game system and the XG1 light gun. And it was programmed by a guy called, I'm not 100% sure how to pronounce it, but I've always said Rob Zabidel. Anyone who's a huge fan of all things Atari like me will probably recognise Rob's name from, from quite a few games across different Atari systems. And I think what I remember him most for doing is actually Warbirds on the Lynx, which is a cracking kind of World War One flight simulation and really showed what the Lynx was capable of. And yeah, he later on went to do that. But Bug Hunt is a is an interesting in, in many ways. Um, it's light gun only. So if you don't have the light gun, then um, uh, sucks to be you because you're not going to play it. So with Bug Hunt being the packing game for the XC light gun, um, you wouldn't expect it to be anything um, pretty amazing. Um, they usually bundle... Uh, Particularly complex with these light guns, and that by their nature, light gun games aren't massively complex anyway. And it isn't really. Um, you have bugs crawling over a grid that's like a one of them fly electric fly trap things on the screen. Um, you shoot them, and they get electrocuted and die. And that's pretty much it. You're just trying to shoot them as quick as you can. 
um, to get a high score as you can. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much all there is to it. Um, graphically, the game is is quite strange, and it uses the the sort of monochrome graphics mode with only the color green pretty much being used, different shades of. The sounds aren't bad, but nothing amazing. Um, all in all, Bug Hunt is a pretty average game, really. It's fun at first, but it does get repetitive quite quickly. But it works. It, you know, it's a good use of the light gun. I think for me, um, Bug Hunt is probably a 5 out of 10, uh, just because there isn't really that much to it. So that's the two games we covered in this episode and, you know, what I've thought of them and not really a lot else to to, to say on those, really. So I'm going to introduce one one last game into this, this episode. As I talked about, I will be covering at least one game from the budget range um, that we had here in the UK in every episode. And uh, in this episode, the budget game I'm going to mention is... One by Codemasters, since the Codemasters were the people I mentioned first in this video. And uh, they, I say they did a few quite nice budget games, Sitari 8-bit. And the first one I'm going to mention is Fruit Machine Simulator. Now one thing that Codemasters became really well known for, especially with their, their Spectrum releases, was using the word simulator. They released a simulator of pretty much everything under the sun. I can't think of much they didn't simulate. We had ATV simulator, we had jet bike simulator, we had um, skiing simulator, golf simulator, tennis simulator, you name it, they did a simulator of it. We did get a few of these simulator games in the Atari 8-bit, and one of them was Fruit Machine Simulator. The name pretty much says it all. This is a simulation of a fruit machine, but it's a very good one. Now, I first enjoyed this game on the Spectrum, and uh, so I was pleased to see there was an Atari 8-bit version, and the Atari 8-bit version is very different. So again, it was um, branded as an XE game to, to coincide with the, the release of the XE machines. Came on tape, was I believe was $2.99 to buy in the shops, if I remember correctly. And for those two, after that $2.99, you got a pretty good little game. I mean, you basically just you shove your coins in, you spin the reels and you try to line up matches just like you do in a normal fruit machine. But what made Fruit Machine Simulator quite nice is it did have like little mini games that you get to, you know, the cash accumulators like you get on a real fruit machine. And the most interesting thing about the XE version of Fruit Machine Simulator that wasn't on any of the other 8-bit versions is that they put Dizzy into the game. Now, Dizzy was, for those who don't know, was Codemaster's kind of icon character. He was a little egg, and um, he was hugely popular. But strangely, until very recently, no Dizzy games came out on the Atari machines, which is quite strange considering the popularity of them. And Dizzy came out on a lot of other systems, and, and quite recently we did actually get a, not a very nice port of Treasure Island Dizzy to the, to the Atari. So that was the first time we'd seen Dizzy in a proper Dizzy game, but... Um, he does appear in Fruit Machine Simulator, which is quite funny, because I suppose a lot of Atari 8-bit owners might not have been that familiar with him, and they, they might not have known why he was there, but yeah, he's in the game, he takes part in the sub-games, which I thought was really nice to see, to see Dizzy there, and it adds a, a little bit more fun to the game, and Fruit Machine Simulator, it, it, is, you know, it is one of these things that pretty much does what it says on the tin, there's, there's not a lot to say about it, you know, you're never going to win any real money, which a lot of people with these kind of gambling games like casino games, fruit machine games, 
some people see them as completely pointless because you don't win any actual money and there is a certain element of chance and luck to it you know you are just hoping to get the good schools i find something quite therapeutic about them i can just sit when i can't decide what else to play and quite simply happily sit there spinning the dials and and watching and and just enjoying it really it's kind of turn your brain off and sit back and play it for a little while while I decide what else you want to do. And I don't know what it is about Fruit Shim Simulator, but it's always a game I've really enjoyed. And uh, I think if you're an 8-bit owner and you've never played it, I think it's well worth well worth checking out. Um, get it on your Atari Max cartridge if you're being a purist, as this podcast suggests you should be, and using the XE game system to play your games. Stick it on there, and when it's a rainy Sunday afternoon and you can't decide what else to do, just stick it on and... Have a little bit of fun playing Fruit Machine Simulator. For me, it's a 7 out of 10. It's got really nice graphics. It's got good sound. It's not going to blow you away, but you're going to have a lot of fun playing it. So I hope you've um, enjoyed my, my little segment here, my views from the UK. If there's any specific questions that anyone out there has about the UK scene and anything you'd particularly like us to cover, especially the Americans, then and please let me know because I'd happy I'd happily uh, use my knowledge to expand a little bit more about the UK scene, or even if you if you want to know more about the history of the XE game system, um, I'd be happy to to give you some insight there. I've spoken to all the key people involved with the system over the years and how it was marketed and, and, and what it was all about. So any any sort of um, questions you have, please feel free again to send them into the podcast, and uh, I will endeavour. To do my best to to, to answer them for you. And uh, I will see you all again on the next episode. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. In our next episode, Bill joins a couple of brothers to take on some plumbing problems in Mario Brothers. And I take on... Yeah, do-do-do-do-do-do. And I take to the skies as the first world war erupts in Blue Max. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, can somebody do a better gun gun, uh, sound, please? Pew, pew. Okay, that's definitely better. We can be found at our website, www.xegs8bit.com. We're also on Twitter at twitter.com slash xegs8bitpodcast, as well as Facebook at www.facebook.com slash atarixegs.and.8bit.game.podcast. Well, it was a lot of fun like usual. I hope everybody's enjoyed listening. And... uh, Thanks a lot to everybody who gave their feedback. We'll definitely will be uh, reading it out next uh, episode. And until then, uh, have you played Atari today? one. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. What the heck? Shaggy. That's my that's my Scooby. Like, hey Scoob, there's like ghosts in here. Yeah. I did not know I'm working with such talented people. Be quiet for a second so that I can just make sure that my um my program is recording. Okay. So just give me a second to play it back. Please make sure that recording this call is Okay, it works. Awesome. No, well, I have a problem. Uh, who is that Kermit the Frog guy just now? <laughs> Kermit the Frog. Kermit the Frog. Hi ho, Kermit the Frog. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I hate the sound of my own voice. So. And we just had this conversation. Everybody hates the sound of their own voice. <laughs> oh, I thought you said you all hate the sound of my voice. <laughs> um.
Oh, sorry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> don't put that in. That's the bloopers. <laughs> oh, don't even bother. Don't even ask me because you never know what's going to go in there. Like what, I, is it? what was that anyway? What did you do? Work something? I just, you know, making sure my throat's clear. All right. Okay. I just downed, I just downed a bunch of char. I'm going to get the smoking out of all that. Okay. <laughs> okay, we're ready. All right. Who did that? That was me. <laughs> Michael, okay, for sure you want to be in the bloopers. I know that for sure. With that, inter- with that, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs>